Hey guys, welcome to episode 139 of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enloe. And today we are talking to Anna Akana, the creator, star, and uh, producer of Miss 2059, the show that I directed and talked a lot about on this podcast and had a baby during. <laughs> and she is, you know, very well known on YouTube. She's got millions of fans and followers and uh, is also a director and an actor. And we are really going to talk about her perspective as an actor working with directors, what she likes, what she doesn't like. We're going to talk about her life as kind of this celebrity, you know, kind of a known person in certain circles and how that affects her work and her job and her life. And it's going to be fun. But before we talk to Anna, I was really curious, Matt, what have you been working on lately? Well, we um, it's been kind of a, a while since we've recorded, so I feel like a lot of things have happened. But I think maybe the most interesting one is that in between uh, last episode and this one, I went to the Palm Springs International Film Festival, which was is a big, big shorts festival. It's kind of one of the main ones that focuses exclusively on shorts. There aren't any features or anything like that, which makes it really special. And, you know, we've always been a fan of the festival. So, you know, we decided to go out this time around and having been to a lot of different festivals over the last couple of years, the really great thing about a shorts festival or a shorts program is that you see, you know, uh, five, six, sometimes even seven or eight shorts in one program, right? So in 90 minutes, you see movies from all over the world, from a ton of different filmmakers with different perspectives and different stories to tell. And it's a really great way to just kind of shotgun uh, diff- different perspectives. And Palm Springs in particular really takes that international programming directive to heart. They make sure that they're getting, I think it's a 50% of their uh, programming at the bare minimum is international and so you're seeing films in all different languages and from all different walks of life. And it's just wonderful. It's really great. Uh, and it also reminds me that when you're at a festival, a lot of what they're cultivating and selling is uh, that culture of filmmakers. So you're getting to know different people. You're getting to meet different people. It's really a great time. So um, I totally recommend it. And did you see any shorts where you're like, Ugh, this sucks, I can make a way better short than this? You know, I think that they're... The programming this year was really, really strong, and I don't think I saw any duds. I've been before, and I've been to other programs at very prestigious festivals where you can see why they programmed it. There's something special or interesting or unique about it, but it's not necessarily always a grand slam. So it's a really great scenario where you're going to see some things where you're like, oh my god, this is an incredible, incredible short I'm so excited and inspired by how neat and uh, how how far this filmmaker took a medium that feels kind of inherently uh, and intrinsically limiting, you know, like you've only got a couple minutes, like anywhere from, uh, you know, literally a minute all the way up to around 45 is in the shorts range. Typically, you're going to see things that are like 12 to 20 minutes long. And then you'll see a couple duds where you're like, hey, I can do better. Well, yeah, so, I think that's, that's like the incredible. most motivating part of a film festival is going to Sundance and seeing a movie and saying like, hmm, I don't think that was that good. I think I yeah. can make a better movie. And then, you know, hopefully if you can follow up on that, then that's then you win. There you go. <laughs> that's why going to festivals is good. It's the best. So, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, I just shot a very weird commercial yesterday for Quiznos. I just showed Matt. And he said it, that he thinks it's the best thing I've ever done. It is, is no, no, no. <laughs> I said it's my favorite thing you've oh, ever done, which is a different thing. Matt's favorite thing. 
He also has not watched much of my work. Though. Yeah, and I'm also a weirdo. So, uh, but it was really, it it was so. You know, we talked about this before in advertising. A lot of times, you get storyboards before you're even hired. You know, they give you storyboards and they say, "How would you accomplish these boards?" And the budget was very low, and there were some really hard things to do in the storyboards. There's like a person hanging upside down, a bird picks him up. And they they also only want us to give us two days to edit this thing today and tomorrow basically, and so because of that they said let's not use any visual effects to make this fly. And you know I have a visual effects background, so there's something interesting as a director when you're pitching yourself to come and say like, hey, I know you're asking for this very specific thing and you have really good reasons for it, but I think not doing what you're asking for will be better and safer and we'll get better results and i mean you really definitely have to kind of work up to that confidence and be able to tell these people that are hiring you that they're wrong and you're this right is the right way to do it yeah but it's something that i've actually noticed like helps me land more jobs than lose jobs because they almost want you to tell them like how things work you know it, not in a condescending way not in a oh you don't understand filmmaking this is how we do how a green screen works but in a hey this is a really great idea but you know we can we can accomplish more if we use visual effects or if we shoot these elements separately or, well they you know. do really want to know that you know how to pull it off and you know we always talk about the note within the note on this show and really when they said oh we don't want to do v- vfx what they really meant is they don't have a ton of time or money, uh, so they want to do it in the cheapest and most efficient way as possible, which is a pretty reasonable standard thing for people to say, but it's easy to overestimate how complicated or time-consuming green screen can be because I feel like whenever you watch a behind-the-scenes video on your favorite TV show or whatever, people are always talking about the amount of labor that it takes to make Life of Pi or The Jungle Book or whatever. But when we're talking about literally compositing a couple different elements together, that's something that kids right now are doing in their bedroom as we speak. Right. And I will say, while I do love visual effects and love doing visual effects, my least favorite shoots just from having fun on set angle are green screen shoots because the whole time on set you're telling the client like yeah i know this looks like a bunch of c-stands but this is gonna look cool and something i did this time is i photoshopped every single frame look it's a 15 second commercial there's six shots (laughs) i photoshopped every single shot in full color and everything before we got to set so i could show the client like i know you see just a guy against green screen but this is what it's gonna look like and were you using the reference elements that uh, your production designer or your casting director had sent you? Like, it was it literally the actor that you cast? It, I wonder, was it the actor that we cast? I, well, I thought of using his audition footage, but I ended up just like, yeah, I needed a guy reaching up without his yeah. shirt on, which is not what we did in the audition. But what about like um, the specific props or yeah, puppets? So, so he comes out of a cocoon. So the cocoon image I used in my Photoshop file is the same image that I sent the production designer as inspiration for the cocoon that they were going to build. And she sent me some pictures of trees that were options that we could rent. And I chose the tree I liked and I used that photo she took and I cut out the tree to use for our board. So yeah, you know, when you're doing visual effects, there's always this big fear, you know, this knot in your stomach where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work or not. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's also something about like having a piece of paper and you can sort of like 
maybe you know tilted in the right angle so that people see like oh i see this is how the cocoon is going to hang and when we reorient it in vfx then it makes sense to them yeah. people also everyone uses photoshop nowadays everyone like you can you know edit a photo on your phone so once you kind of put it into those terms people realize how simple it can be yeah you know when this episode comes out this spot will already be out so we'll put a link to it and also my shot list, which is kind of interesting because yeah. the first page of the shot list is the six shots that we're going to get as they will look at the end. And then each page after that is a breakdown of the pieces we'll need mm. for each shot. I think I think it's interesting. It's a little confusing, but I'll post it just in case anyone's into it. You know what would be great also is if we could see the different layers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when we were looking at it together, well, I was like, oh, where where are your seams? Where's the compositing actually happening here? And I think that could be nice to say, okay, here's the cocoon. Here's where the sandwich is. Here's the tree. Here's the backdrop. And then you'll see how they all fit together. Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll try to do a visual breakdown of the pieces we actually shot. But yeah, but my boards kind of have that broken out too. But cool. Well, awesome. Let's talk to Anna Akana. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. make it the security in this place is insane and this dick marine was like you're not on the list and i was like dude that's my sister's face 40 feet high on your building also who took that photo of you it's not doing you any favors your pores are huge and no one did any work on your eyebrows you look so angry like that yeah you look exactly like that hey how's it going anna hi thanks for having me guys hello hello thanks for being here people we talk about miss earth basically like my production journal is this show nice so everyone knows about you and the show and how difficult you are to work with (sighs) i am um, i am your demands on set (laughs) so i'm basically here as like an arbiter (laughs) arbitrator arbitrator thank you that's what i was looking for and um you know kind of a just a psychiatrist as well just kind of like mediate Oren has a lot of things to express to you. Okay. He's going to use a lot of I feel statements. But I thought this would be more of like a Jerry Springer situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the DNA test is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I think, you know, obviously we worked together and, and that was really fun. But we thought you, I mean, I don't know, you're like one of the busiest people I know. And I know you've just worked with like so many directors and on so many different things in it. You were in Ant-Man and mm-hmm. you've done videos by yourself and like everything in between. And so think you have like a really good perspective that for our listeners of like kind of probably like what you like in a director and don't like in a director Mm -hmm. so I think I want to talk about that on one hand you as an a performer Mm -hmm. which is I think your background right you started as a stand-up comic yes and you kind of came started in front of the camera but then also obviously you're a director yourself you directed the pilot for Miss Earth that got the whole project greenlit but you also have your own YouTube channel, which is insanely popular. And you're the head of the women's something for YouTube. Oh, the women's initiative. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the creative director for them, which is all female filmmakers. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, so I think I I wanted to ask you about those two things. So maybe we'll start with the, as a performer Mm -hmm. kind of um, working with directors, I, I guess from my point of view, like working with Anna, what I really liked about her just from like a simply technical point of view, which is something that just seems so obvious, but like a lot of actors just, they don't come to set like knowing all their lines, being off book, which Anna's like really good at that. You're obviously like, you understand lighting and visual effects and timing. And so, you know, when you're acting, you know how to hit your marks and 
no oh shouldn't i duck out of this shot so we have like a clean plate basically maybe what you're saying Orin, is that you kind of as a creator and director as well as a performer you understand that extra layer of logistics or technical issues that we're all kind of trying to deal with definitely i feel like uh making my own stuff for five years has made me so much better as an actor because i I feel like act as an actor i have the easiest job I show up, everyone treats me like royalty, they go get breakfast for me or what have you. I just have to know my lines and hit my mark. And I mean, out of everyone on set, I have the least amount of work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Have you directed stuff that you did not act in? Uh, Yes, I have. Because I I feel feel like that is pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I feel like as the director, like you can look so bad. (laughs) You can just be like barely walking and you can still work. But as an actor, you have to be like, if you are not in a good mood then it's going to show on camera yeah and as a director you can just be hating your life i mean or just on your phone you know like actors i mean i guess actors get to be on their phone as well but you know we're never lifting anything heavy well so back to you with directors i I apologize for such an open-ended question but can you tell us some things that you like like some things you like that directors do with you as a Mm -hmm. performer and some things that you don't like um, I like line reads. Like if you give me a couple oh. takes and I'm no, I don't get the inflection. Like it's harder for me to interpret the way you want me to say something. And for some reason, there's like a lot of directors like are like, oh, I know actors don't like line reads, and I'm like, why? Mm. Like that's perfect. Like it's it's harder for me to be able to interpret what you're mm-hmm. trying to tell me versus if you just tell me how you want it to be. Some things that I don't like that a director does, I, I don't like when I don't get any feedback at all if something's not working or if, if it's not working and they don't say anything because they don't they feel like they're going to hurt my feelings. I feel like a lot of actors are almost treated like very like children, like very fragile and stuff. And that's kind of annoying because I'm like, you ju- just get your shot. You know, I'm just here to get your shot. And I feel like after having directed, it's so frustrating because like I can communicate with actors. This is exactly what I want because this is how it's going to fit. And then I get really upset when other actors are like, my character wouldn't do this. My character Mm -hmm. wouldn't say it like that. Like I was doing background. I started in background a long time ago and Amber Tamblyn argued with the director for like half an hour about how to say the word no. And he was like, just do it the way this other way so we can have it for the edit. And she's like, okay. And then she would just keep doing it her way. And it just drove me bananas. And I think working background also helped me be a better actor and director because you really saw Mm -hmm. how much miscommunication there was on set just based on how many people there were and how it really is a miracle to get something good. Yeah. You know, I shadowed this director last year. I think I talked about it on this podcast on that show Stitchers for ABC Family Pilot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Todd Holland. I'm sure I talked to him, I talked about it. Anyway, I found that when I, I worked background, when I was in, I went to UCLA and I like on my days off, I would just be like an extra on things because that's how I like fell in love with like being on set and stuff. I found that I learned way more about filmmaking and being on set and production from being an extra than I did from shadowing the director. Because when you're the director's shadow, you're like kind of supposed to just be silent mm-hmm. and not talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. And when you're an extra, you're kind of like, observing you're going you're seeing you're not just in the middle of the action but you're on the sides you're seeing how the whole big machine works and, and you can talk to all of the crew yeah yeah it's, and they like it, it yeah. they love it i mean yeah. if you're a cute girl it definitely helps <laughs> and uh, to that point i had this guy that he was the prop master on seventh heaven and i'm pretty sure he had a crush on me because he kept like calling me in to do like you know sag. i wasn't in sag but he'd give, get me like sag vouchers to be like an extra on seventh heaven like whenever they were shooting oh in God. la so. Smoke them if you got them more. <laughs> yeah. 
I, do, I feel like anyone who wants to make anything should definitely do background because you're treated like absolute shit, but you're also, you have so much resources in front of you. Like I learned most of what I know about lighting, just doing background yeah, and being like, what, what are you doing here? Yeah, What's yeah. this? It's What's all the that? good parts of being a PA, but you get to go home sooner and you yeah. don't have to haul anything. Yeah. Yeah. I heard this like interesting piece of advice once. I forget where it was. It was like on some radio show or something, but they were talking about like, if you want to get, if you want to move to Hollywood and work mm-hmm. like in the art department or whatever, you could literally email like the prop master of like avatar or something like the biggest movies because no one ever contacts those people mm-hmm. as a fan. And so that's it's like the same thing on set. It's like if you go up to like an electrician and say like, oh, what does this light do? They're like, oh, I'm like the authority here and, every, and you're going to listen to me. I think it's exciting to be asked about your work. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're spending 12 to 15 hours a day doing it. I feel like you got to love it. So yeah. ha- being able to explain that to someone who's interested, I'm sure they're like, oh, yeah, let me tell you all about electricity. Well, listen up, kid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, something I would do, too, which maybe it's like a little taboo, but I would always like ask people like how much things cost. Like, how much would it cost to rent this like light for a day? Or how much does a crane mm. cost? Do you need a permit? Like, because I was always, always wanted to know, like, if in my own production, like I think a lot of people in like film school and stuff, they see a techno crane like in a behind the scenes shoot on a Steven Spielberg film. And they're like, well, I could never have a techno crane because that must be like $100,000. And it's not, you know, no. like if you have some hookups or whatever, you can probably get it for like $5,000. And mm-hmm. and maybe if your budget is only $10,000, maybe spending half of it on a techno crane is worth it, you know. And so you start at you like that fear of like, there's too much stuff and everything's so expensive it kind of stops starts dropping when you're mm-hmm. like yeah. asking everyone like how much things cost and how it all works. Well, I think it's cool too cuz the background you you pretty much see the big machine like you're on a TV show, you're yeah. on a big budget film. But then there are ways to totally cheat that. So I was making YouTube videos when I did background and so whenever you saw like really cool crane shots, I was like, "Well, I can't do that." But I like looked at Steadicam and I was like, "Well, if I sat in a wheelchair and like sure. held a camera and someone just pushed me forward on smooth surface, that would kind of look like a dolly cam." And so I I feel like you So that's why you purposely broke your leg. Yeah. 100%. Like, like, Anna, you can Every sit audition. in a wheelchair if, you're not, if your leg isn't perfect. I mean, that's kind of how I did it. I had a show called Riley Rewind, and all of our dolly shots were just wheelchairs because the dollies were taking too long to set up. So it was just like... Oh, just, you had a dolly and you'd use the wheelchair Yeah, and, and especially in times of crisis when it's like, okay, we got two hours before we have to be out of this high school, just use the wheelchair. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. And you had a person sitting in it holding the mm-hmm. camera in their hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, DPs are always like putting the dolly on like four sets of tracks and skate wheels and all this yeah. polish yeah. and all this stuff. And you're like, dude, I'm probably not even going to use yeah. the moving part of this shot. So yeah. just, it's let's okay just if go, there's yeah. a tiny little bump. <laughs> DPs no love it when, when you tell them you're not going to use their work. <laughs> love it. Well, it's like, you know, when you're like, oh, it would be kind of nice if yeah. there was like a little push here. And they're like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And then it's like 20 minutes later, I'm like, is this all just for that yeah. tiny little push? And they're like, yeah, well, we needed to move all the lights. Well, I do think that there is with directing the situation where when you do such a good job of fostering people into like being really excited and really creative of like, yeah, let's go all out on everything. Then you turn into that guy that has to tone everyone down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. You're like, yeah, like that shot is really good, but I am going to cut the beginning off because this is a, you know, three minute spot or whatever. And so being the no person is kind of like this weird double-edged sword with everything. You still want to like inspire mm-hmm. people to like do their best and to contribute everything they can, but like putting a joke on a joke on a joke, especially with props, I feel like mm. sometimes it'll be like, isn't this really funny? And it's like, well, I just need it to be a 
telephone guys. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sometimes when I did this Lifetime movie that we were talking about earlier, the DP that I ended up hiring, I hired because one of the things he said was, if we're running super late and we still have to shoot like five pages, I'm willing to compromise the lighting a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was like, okay, well, that's like the type of production we need, you know? Yeah. We need fast people. And and sometimes getting the performance or getting, a lot of times, much rather have multiple takes to choose from Mm -hmm. and to work out than one perfectly lit take that's not that emotional. Have we ever talked about pencils down on the podcast? That's a phrase that I will use. It's like, you know, it's notorious. Like people that work with me regularly will like tease me about saying pencils down. And it, you know, it comes from like the SATs, right? Yeah. Like, but really what it, what it means is like, hey guys, I know we could all tweak for a while longer, but you have to stop because I have to get my shot. Mm. And I know you will make it better if you had a little bit more time. Sorry. Action. You know what I mean? So pencils down. Pencils down. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'll use that. Yeah. I've been uh, really lucky. Like, I discovered early on that, like, I don't mind running over because I'm the executive producer and the director. Because in, in my opinion, it's always like, well, worst case scenario, we got to add another day, which essentially is coming out of my pocket. And wait, so, so, so have you directed stuff that you weren't the EP on? No, I've always I've always directed my own stuff because uh, I've been offered other directing gigs. But then I'm like, why would I do this? Wait, no, but that? you directed that thing, the Sacagawea coin. No, I didn't. That was Yulene Quang. Oh, you just wrote it. Yeah. I know Yulene. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, that's the argument for making your own stuff. Because for me, it's always like, if we cannot go past 12 hours, we cannot. We just do not have the money to go past 12 hours ever. So I don't know if you saw Project Greenlight this latest season. But, you know, the producer, like, literally, like, the director's trying to get a shot. And the the producer's, like, walking around, like, turning lights off. Just like, hey, that's a wrap. Sorry. She's like, we can't. Everyone go home. We cannot. Hey, you guys. Yeah. There's also just the thing when when you're a freelance director and like, you know, you're hoping to work with that company again, mm-hmm. like being a person that can come in on time and on budget is extra important because, yeah. you know, maybe you're going to make that project better by going over, but you probably don't get to make the next one. Well, I feel but, like a lot of that is, is, I mean, at least in my experience, what I've seen with directors, it's just a lack of preparation. Because there's a lot of times when I'm on a set where they'll do a set up here and then here. And then they'll go back to that initial place. And I'm like, why didn't we just knock it all out of order? You know, sure. why yeah, didn't yeah. we block shoot that? Yeah. And I get really frustrated, especially when, when people are like, well, we'll just shoot it chronologically. I'm like, you have four pages <laughs> to get through in this like 12 hour day. That's not going to happen. Especially because then by the end of the day, everyone gets so stressed out and then the morale goes down and everyone takes it out on each other. So I'm just like, just do it the most efficient way possible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you hear about these like huge directors that do that are they're successful because they're opportunistic. Like you hear Michael Bay will have his whole crew spend six hours setting up this shot. And then he'll be like, wait, the sunset looks amazing. Everyone tear this down and let's shoot here, (laughs) you know, and he can do that. And. I saw that Warner Herzog is doing like a master class on directing or something. And he's like, no storyboards, storyboards ruin everything. It's (laughs) like like, (laughs) the instruments of college. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, you're breaking into a world and you're, you're a thief and you're just stealing footage. And it's not about preparing. It's about experiencing. But I guess, you know, it just depends on the type of film it is and the type of filmmaker you are. Mm -hmm. I think there is like an element in me of like people pleasing, right? Like, you'll probably get another job if the product is good. And I think, Anna, your point is just like, 
make sure the product is good. That's the job of the director, mm-hmm. right? And like if it's a little bit over here or there, you know the terms under which you're you're extending the deadline, even if it's out of your pocket or if it's from someone else's pocket. I feel like you probably have a pretty good sense of what you're really risking when you're mm-hmm. doing that. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm big on I'm my own my own AD and I'm my own accountant, so I always make sure I have everything budgeted in advance. I know exactly what I want going in, and then if I need more time, sometimes I'll take that time and sometimes I won't. It just depends, you know, on location and everyone's availabilities and stuff. But I think I think as much as the end product, I really love the experience of stuff. Like I mentioned this on Miss 2059's wrapping day, but that pilot was like the worst thing I'd ever done in my life. And I lost a bunch of friends and I was just like, I don't ever want to be on a set like that again. And so every time I walk on a set, I just like, I love my job and I'm going to be a great person to be around. And this is, should be as great of a, an experience as the end product. Is there anything specific that you wouldn't do again based off of that experience? Oh, there's so many things. Um, I wouldn't direct produce star as the two leads and be the EP of a single project ever again. That was yeah. way too many hats, yeah, yeah. especially for sci-fi. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever done... Uh, and full creature makeup. Full like, creature. you guys should check this out. Like, the first time I saw your pilot, I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> how did you... I was like, I would never even, like, dare try to do this because I'd feel like it's not possible and then you're just like doing everything like it's no big deal (laughs) you just learn i mean i never went to film school so it's like making shorts and making youtube videos to me has always been like oh this is how i practice and this is how i get better but yeah i just feel like like knowing how much i can actually take on is what i was what i learned with that so it's like i can direct and act but i only if it's a character in my wheelhouse and Mm -hmm. i can produce and direct but not if i'm acting so no more than like two hats is what i say warner herzog also said don't go to film school Sorry, man. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because he also has a filmmaking boot camp that you could describe. No, he said you can learn everything about filmmaking in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's two what he week. said. He said, don't go to film school. You can learn everything in two weeks. The two weeks, weeks that you're paying for yeah. at his boot camp. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Werner. Oh, God. That so the funniest. to rewind back to something. Sorry. I just, yeah. I think more than a lot of our guests, you just have a lot of insights on like the actor-director relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that you get you don't like it when actors say, "Oh, my character wouldn't do this." Mm-hmm. But can we talk about one scene specifically from Miss uh, yeah. Twenty Fifty Nine? Yeah, sure. So there's the scene. It's in the first episode where you ar- appear on this alien spacecraft, mm-hmm. and there's all these crazy aliens. And I remember when we were on set. I guess I thought for the moment, like character aside and everything else aside like the more scared and surprised and shocked you are by this whole thing, the more it's like, I'm going to die. Oh shit. Uh, that it could be mm-hmm. the more impactful, like just, just want to contrast it with like your safety on earth and like your total acceptance on earth. But for you, I remember on set, you're like, well, my character knows that there's aliens, mm-hmm. that aliens exist and that we go, go to other planets and my sister was going to come here. So like, why it doesn't make any sense for me to freak out I think um, the only right difference there. there is that I made that character. <laughs> so it's like, I'm talking about like if it's an actor who had nothing to do with the creative process. Because mm-hmm. I felt like I was in the writer's room, you know, I made the pilot. Like it's something that I, I had to like beat out and make a Bible for for a really long time. So I very much felt like, oh, Victoria's my character who I've had for the longest time. If I was just an actor that was hired, I would have never argued with that with you. I would have been like, well, this is your vision. You, you tell me what you want and we'll do all as many takes. I mostly get frustrated when it's like, uh, like if I've been on a couple of thriller movies where the actors don't 
want to do the fake scares. They're like, my mm-hmm. character would never do that. That's so that's so mean for her to mislead this other character. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's the movie. That's right. your job. Right. Um, and it's built around these moments. Which yes. It is. I mean, look, the, it's always going to be best. The quality is going to be good if the character is true and everything is like coming from the character. Mm-hmm. But you're also trying to build in like moments, especially a, mm-hmm. a thriller, a horror, like scared moments, you know, and so... It's, it's hard to balance that. I mean, if it's written really well and directed well and put together well, then it, it'll feel like one and the same. Like, this is mm-hmm. the type of character yeah. that would do a fake scare. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, th- I think th- there's two things that I think of when we're talking about this. So, one, my, my wife is an actor. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, she's trained a bunch of different places. But most recently has kind of gotten into, like, a little more of, a, like, a hippy-dippy method sort of situation. Like... Vincent D'Onofrio will come and teach and he's like famously method and all that stuff. And she's done like, you know, like the exact opposite for a long time as well. So this was kind of a nice 180 for her repertoire. But as a pro, you know, she knows that you can't be like, hold on, I need 15 minutes to go to a breathing exercise and Mm -hmm. sensory, you know, journey or whatever. (laughs) Right. And so, you know, so she's a realist about it all. And like, I think there's a, the role of the actor is a little bit of like figuring out the compromise between a director being like, I need you to just scream 15 times at me real quick and making it a true authentic grounded performance. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it is your face up there, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you don't want to, you don't uh, want to get negative. You don't want people to think you're a bad actor because you're Yeah. Some director's like, Hey, I've got 10 minutes. Do it. Right. And I think sometimes directors lose sight of that. A little bit like there is that vulnerability of like if Oren was like hey Anna I really need you to do a bad performance real quick mm-hmm. and we're rolling you know you I think you're you're lucky in that like you have the authority to be like hey we're not using that take mm-hmm. and like Oren would probably be like okay that's fine right but oftentimes actors aren't and I think that's really interesting but um I <sighs> I mean, I agree. I don't hate, I don't like, I won't banish an actor for of course. saying yeah, yeah. something. I think it, it just gets to a point where it's like, do you trust the director you're right, working right. with? There is a, a sense of trust because, you know, I could feel bad about a performance, but then I could watch it back on on camera and I'm like, oh no, that's fine. I can't yeah, yeah. read any of my insecurities or any of my anxieties. I, I think that's right on, right? It really is about trust, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if a director is guiding you through something that maybe feels off or a little weird or strange, and you don't trust that person, then that's when you end up in a stalemate, mm-hmm. right? But a director who has your back and isn't going to use something that's lame mm-hmm. because they don't want to make a lame thing, mm-hmm. then you're set. Then you're in a, a great situation either way. Yeah. Basically, that's why you got to like trust each other, right. which mm-hmm. is really hard. Right. And I mean, from a director's point of view, like even like on our show, like it's it's tricky when the person you're directing is wrote, created, and is EPing the show, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because it's like it's like TV directing. I assume I haven't really done that much mm-hmm. of it, but you know, if you go to direct an episode of Mad Men and you tell John Hamm like, "Oh, what if you get really angry?" and he goes, "Well, I wouldn't get really angry." That's <laughs> yeah. not my then like he obviously trumps the director. Yeah. Well, I, that was my other point actually. Is that there's a little bit of it that's nice to be mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay, you're you're the guardian of this character and their true motivations." And I'm thinking about where we're going to put the camera and can we make our day and like what tomorrow is looking like. And if we're going to go into overtime, what does that do to my time schedule? All, mm-hmm. all of that other junk. And sometimes it's nice for an actor to be like, hey, I don't think this is exactly what you want. 
and to just give yourself a second to be like, wait a minute, is that right or isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, it definitely is a collaboration. At the end of the day, everyone has to come together to make it really good. I think it's the job of the director to have that vision, to execute it efficiently with everyone's time and for everyone to chime in their ideas and for you to see what, you know, take it Take it seriously, see what fits, see what doesn't. I'm I, just saying I want you to throw a tantrum if I ever direct you. Oh, perfect. Great. I will. Cool. We're set. I'll be the, the best tantrum on set ever. <laughs> then you can have your baby and then come back to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I don't know, Some one of the things I learned, I, I like it when an actor says, like, this doesn't feel right to me mm-hmm. because it gives me an opportunity to like direct where it's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if anyone really knows how to direct or how to tell people something to like make them feel something. But I just love saying, well, like what, what would feel right? Like, let's talk about it. Like how, how would you react or, and it lets the actor really kind of put their input in be, you know, in a thoughtful way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like you end up with something better. And mm-hmm. I did this, that lifetime movie I just talked about, it was Lori Lachlan, who's, you know, Aunt Becky from Full House. Mm-hmm. She was, like, the lead, and she'd been acting for, like, 35 years or whatever, and it was, like, my second, you know, big project, and I just felt like she was way more of an authority on acting than I was. And so if she ever didn't feel like something felt right, I mm-hmm. wanted her to tell me, and I wanted to figure out in a way that she felt happy because, interesting, you know, as a director, you're a lot of times not the most knowledgeable or most experienced person on set Mm -hmm. and so I kind of like it when I can learn from the actors you know but I feel like every actor should be forced to edit because Mm -hmm. you like a lot of people when I work when we work together like something about this scene doesn't feel like it's working to me I'm like well it will in the edit you know (laughs) because like even if the pacing's off you know or when people are like, don't overlap each other and you have to like give it a beat. Like all like actors all the time hate that. They feel like so weird about it. And I'm like, it's fine. Like that's what you need to do for the edit. People aren't trying to make something that's crappy, you know. It reflects on especially the director. If a movie sucks, almost always the director's blamed. So I, I just get frustrated when people think that something's not working, but it's like, no, this is just what's necessary to get the pieces to put together in the end. I feel like anytime I feel like I have a, a super amazing take in the moment, it's it's almost never used. You know, it's always something else that fits into the grand scheme of things. Right. So speaking of editing, do you have, so you, I was telling Matt about this article I read a while ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about it or not, but I think we did. It's called like, it was called the YouTube voice. Oh, you yeah, know that yeah, article yeah. Hey, it. guys. <laughs> yeah. And I, say, a, I always say, what's up, YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> and it's about there's there's a certain cadence and style of speech and enunciation that some people do on camera that makes them very, like, watchable. And mm-hmm. they, they had your video as, like, one of the main videos that they talked about you and um, what's her name? The Australian girl? Oh, that, Natalie Tran? Yeah. That's been, yeah. She, she's been around for a really long time, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it just talked about how... It, they like try to analyze your voices and all these other people's voices. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering like what, when you're, you know, there's very bad, boring vlogs out there. Mm-hmm. Like what do you do that makes your stuff like so watchable and entertaining? Do you have, it, are there some tricks that you do or do you ever make mm-hmm. stuff that's not good and you don't put it up? How'd- I very, I very rarely not put something up because I know that someone somewhere is going to like it and that I'm my own worst critic and I have a, a video a week of a, a deadline. So if I make it, I got to put it out there unless it's complete garbage. But what I do 
to make it engaging, I guess, I, I use a lot of cutaways. So my videos are like one long monologue where I will cut away to either pay off a setup as a joke to illustrate something that I said in a very funny way or to have sort of an analogous comparison. And uh, I always try to make my videos no more than two and a half, three minutes, and then an endorsement or sponsorship at the end of it. Uh, so I always try to make succinct to the point. It's one stream of consciousness thought. It try to be funny. Sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and, and it's all 100% scripted? Yes, usually. I'll improvise a little bit in the moment, but almost always I, I use the scripted takes. But we did have a business meeting with someone a while ago when this happened to get you an initial treatment. Excuse me. Anyway, from there, if you like, we didn't say anything at the time. And in fact, as the meeting progressed, we actually both ended up forgetting about it until later that night. During the meeting, did he fart? Oh my god, yes! But I wasn't sure because he just totally shrugged it off. I know, right? I was like, wait a second, did that just happen? If it had been me in that situation, I would have been all... And then if we... Um, I am... Um... Oh my god, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. Please don't, I mean, I'm so... It's okay, don't worry, it happens. You don't understand. I can't let you live with this memory. And you're a, a, a one-woman band, right? Like it's. Like, I was you know. just this year. I got a an editor, a GFX person, an assistant, and a producer. Oh, nice! Yeah. And how? So I worked with uh, you know the Fine Brothers on yes. this big project, and they are they're also like experts at making. They can shoot anything and edit it into something very watchable. Yeah. Even if it's like their one take spoiler, hundred spoilers. They can build an empire out of children watching computer <laughs> Yeah, reacting. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll pay you guys $10, dollars yeah, Fine Brothers, for saying react. No, but they, I edited for them and they were like, you know, we've worked with all these editors and they all suck and we've seen your stuff and it's great so we want you to edit for us that are kind of oversee this editing mm. and I did and I edited it edited their project that was a, my music it was like the second season of oh, my yeah. music they got like a million dollars from YouTube which was cool which yeah. is it's crazy because it's actually not that much money when you think of what YouTube wants for that million dollars it's like you need to make like 55 hours of content <laughs> yeah. or something it's like, <laughs> like the biggest um, ripoff yeah. of all yeah. time <laughs> but, uh, but it's a million dollars and we're yeah. giving it to YouTubers and I think nowadays that wouldn't play, but this was like four or five years ago. Yeah. And at also, that point, it was like no YouTuber was getting a million dollars. I think I can probably name show. all of the channels that survived that first initiative. Like yeah. I could probably name them on two hands. Okay. Right, like it's under like it, the, most people failed is my point basically. Oh, like yeah. the Geek and Sundry and all. Yeah, those it's guys. Geek, and, Geek and Sundry above average. The Fine Brothers. Yeah, but above average is like Lauren Michaels. And yeah. then they gave like Amy Poehler a million dollars and yeah, she like made girls, like one video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Smart Girls sold to Legendary. Oh, okay. Yeah. So but they noticed, noticed, yeah. Incredible, yeah. But so after our first episode, it was like two and a half minutes long, they sent us probably close to 200 notes on the first episode. And they're like, this, you know, when we edit, we edit. We never cut in the middle of a word. We never do this. Like, always start with the wide shot, then the medium, then the close-up, then go back and forth. Don't do this, don't do that. We see what you're going for here, but that's not the way we edit. And so, for me, I see, like, a lot of people like you that have, like, very kind of highly edited pieces of work that work because you have, like, a certain pace and cadence mm -hmm. and stuff. Do you, did you find it hard to find an editor that can match exactly your style? Yeah, it was really hard. My boyfriend was, uh, Brad is a professional editor, and uh, we he had to stop editing for me because <laughs> we were getting into so many fights about him being my employee at the time. Because it's a very specific thing, and now I have a 
editor sent from heaven named Zach Serpranat and it's perfect because he gets it. He gets what I want. He does it. I rarely have notes. I'll have a couple things here and there, but he pretty much captures what I want like right off the bat. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's why it used to drive me nuts about like these big YouTubers and people like companies trying to copy them because they're like, oh, we could just like pay some kid to talk to the camera. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand that these people are like expert, expert editors. Like they're so good at like putting these things together. They're not just like some random kit. It's not like anyone can do this. Yeah. So it just uh, always bothered me that the (laughs) the editing in like a vlog is not appreciated, you know? Yeah. Or like these cutaways and stuff. So anyway, editing. Yeah. I get really upset about post because I feel like no one cares about it. And it's it's like where you make everything work. Yeah. You know? Well, so also you've I guess going back to like working with people that are more experienced than you sometimes like you worked with a, a bunch of celebrities mm-hmm. you that thing you did with Daniel Radcliffe you directed right yes I did and so when you're directing sorry, someone a, a like, little bit of context what's the sorry. thing Daniel um, I did a video called what if featuring Daniel Radcliffe it was basically like a promo video for his new movie but they were like you get three hours with Daniel Radcliffe no I think it was an hour sorry it was one hour with Daniel Radcliffe on the set of the YouTube space to create a video so I had to submit a picture packet a script and my concept was basically like very meta it was like oh I was being provided the opportunity to work with Daniel Radcliffe and the whole video was about how I imagined it would go down which was that we of course we would fall in love and he would propose to me immediately but I had just gone through a breakup and so I was like oh but I want to be single for a year and Daniel in my head was giving me advice about how to not be so extreme and yay go me right sticking to my resolve but my imaginary Daniel Radcliffe was oddly insightful what if you meet the right person well, I figure, you know, if I meet the right person, uh, they'll wait for me. Don't you think love should unfold naturally? Well, yeah, but what if I'm not ready? Are we ever ready for anything? You can't control the situation you're in. All you can do is react to it as openly and as honestly as you possibly can. It... <laughs> wait, is that an invitation to kiss you? No. No, no. Okay, just checking. Great. And yeah. so, and and he was so into it. He was so into it. <laughs> <laughs> Wrote it in a kiss scene. They were like, probably not going to happen. It's fine. <laughs> and so is, how many people got to do a video with him? Just you? Uh, I think there were a few of us. There were two or three of us. I know Rhett and Link did it with him as well. It's kind of like a, a new version of a junket, right? Yes. Where it's like, okay, like we get influencers and YouTubers and we kind of like let you run around with them yes. a little bit. Yeah, as long as it subtly promotes the movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've, I mean, you've worked with a bunch of celebrities, I imagine at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, is, are, do you ever get 